a quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey Coyle. Is it Jeffrey or Jeff? Because you've got the Twitter handle. It is Jeffrey is the, the given name, um, but very few people actually call me Jeffrey. I think, Jason, you might be one of them I'd allow. So, you know, other than that, it's my mom and my wife. So, you know, but she, oh, mostly, oh. goes, she mostly goes by Jeff. Though, so. All right. Your mom, your wife and your dog. Yeah, my dog, you know, I, if, if I mispronounce his name, he calls me Jeffrey back. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Wonderful. Uh, as always, uh, well, today, in fact, we're talking about risks and rewards of AI-generated content. I'm actually really intrigued about this because uh, I've got a terribly, terribly, terribly old fuddy-duddy opinion about it. So we're going to see what you're going to come up with to convince me that I'm old and out of, out of touch. Before we do that, I always look at people's brand SERPs, and I was thinking yours is going to be pretty boring because... Um, your name is so very common. And I looked up your name. There are so many Jeff calls. It's impossible to get through it. So I decided instead to look at Market Muse. Now here, I'm really interested because Market Muse with the space, it corrects me to your brand name, which is brilliant. So you've done a great yes. job on that. Like that. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is people also ask, uh, what is Market Muse? It's actually given the space for right. that question. So it's kind of a bit contradictory. So you've done a great job, but obviously Google isn't quite there, or the two bits of its brain aren't speaking to each other, which is probably more the case. And I think we forget Google SERPs are full of different parts of its brain, and they don't necessarily communicate. Yeah, when you misspell, the rewrite also tweaks the um, the PAA and then the uh, the bottom box as well, the uh, the variant box. And uh, yeah, that's been a oh, it's boy. been a journey. It's been a journey. Having a camel case, by the way, camel case is capital M, capital M, Market Muse. Um, the fun fact about me is I've worked at three major companies, and all three of them are camel case. So I the the, the joke is I'll never work at somewhere with a space. So it was mm -hmm. knowledge knowledge storm KS Tech Target TT. Market Muse MM. For some reason, it's always worked out that way, and I had nothing to do with any of them. So, all oh, right. My first thought wasn't anything to do with that. It was King of the Desert. If you're Camel Case, then you're King of the Desert. But if we come back to that that brand set for Market Muse, the same one. Yeah. Right on the right hand side, we can see see results about. Now, what's behind that? And if you next show the next screen, Anton, we see a knowledge panel. Right. There is a hidden knowledge panel behind Market Muse Incorporated with the option to claim it with the correct website. And, you know, you seem to be really onto the brand SERP and what happens when people search your brand name, which is quite rare in our industry. So I'm terribly impressed. Um, and you know loads more about your brand name than I do in that sense. This is something perhaps you should do. Is it something you missed or something you just haven't had time to do? It's something we had connected um, and we need to reconnect it. Um, we also have, yeah, our brand search is um, very important uh, to our lead flow as well as our brand, our branded variants. Um, we, we have a bit of, I'd say not brand confusion. However, our original product was solely the content optimization solution. Um, and we've expanded it to cover a lot more, but a lot of the queries are with the intent of comparison with other content optimization solutions, not enterprise platforms. Um, so when we redo all that, it's gonna have 
context to make sure people are comparing apples to apples and not apples to oranges. So it's a in process right now. They're, yeah, they're, they're, and what the thing about brand SERPs and, and what kind of Google shows to your audience is an eternal ongoing project. And yep. people kind of think, and you're making the great point, A, you actually look after it, which is rare, and I do encourage everyone else to look at it as deeply as you are. And B, they think, oh, done and dusted, and they forget about it. And it's actually an ongoing process because your brand message isn't static. Your audience isn't static. We wanted to change it, and that's why we're in this process of tweaking um, because it was so um, one-dimensional for comparison and so the next phase, you'll see it hopefully make on my personal one. However, I've transitioned from being kind of in the mix to kind of having the uh, the dominant coverage against the very famous reporter from San Antonio and a board game player who's very, very, very strong at uh, some really, really obscure board games. By the way, neither of those two people are me. But because I have Jeff Coyle at gmail.com, I get a lot of their email. <laughs> a lot of people want me to show up for a you know a board game tournament in Tacoma, Washington. Um, and uh, you know, one day I'll meet both of those people. It'll be an interesting day. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and you'll high five them. I've got a podcaster <laughs> with the same name. He has a better podcast than I do because he does music and interviews some astonishingly interesting uh, musicians and you know. I love doing this podcast. I would actually love to do both podcasts at the same time, right. but that competition on my own name for a podcast about the same thing might just beat me. Anyway, that's not what we're here for. We're talking about risks and rewards of AI-generated content. Now, I'm an old fuddy-duddy, mm -hmm. and I think AI-generated content is always going to be rubbish. But that's First not the all, case. It's not the case. But uh, second of all, your camera is beautiful now, and you are ultra-high high depth, so... Whatever that was, just talk. Starting to talk must have solved it. Um, I'd say. Oh right! I, just, uh, just to explain to anybody who's incredibly interested, you reboot your computer. It just works. You just turn it off and turn <laughs> it on, and then it just works. So, so the um, you know natural language generation, and so really, it's the it's the next phase of the the world. And I natural language processing has been the field that I've been really focused on for you know, the last decade. I've been in the search space, search engine, search engine design, built ad servers, you know, for now 22 scary years, right? And did search mm -hmm. engine optimization, content strategy, all under the sun, right? But the fields of, that relate to natural language processing, which is another branch of artificial intelligence, that's where, you know, that's the, the foundation of market news. It's basically, we wanna figure out how to analyze text and do stuff that content marketers care about, right? And so it's to say, if I were an expert on a topic, how would I cover that topic comprehensively? What would it mean to really exhibit expertise on this topic? Um, and when natural language generation started coming on to being real, some of the early versions of that were, um, Impressive, but not exciting for me. Hmm. Uh, it was it was a lot of um, it felt almost like spinning content, right? It was it was templated. It wasn't uh, interesting. It was it was a lot like Mad Libs, right? And that's the first version of of generation. It's a well, little just, bit on just, that front. Sorry, yeah. just just to point out. I mean, kind of. I was being a bit um, obstreperous. I think the word is right. at the start, and the idea was to launch the conversation. 
but part of it is that is that one's immediate reaction is spinning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And how, it's, it's, how, how do you how do you come back at me and say actually this is more than just spinning, filling in the more, gap? It's more than just spinning, and that's it. Then you just have to agree. No. Th- so it's not that. It, it's really about reading text. So natural language processing is analyzing large volumes of natural language, right? Or text content. And from that, you can do a lot of stuff, right? One of the things you can do is build language models, right? And a language model is going to then be predictive. It's going to predictively identify based on all the text they analyze, whatever that corpus is, it's going to start to say, when given instruction, certain types of instruction, as I can get into, I'm going to try to predict the highest, uh, you know, the, the most likely next, in some cases, characters, words that should be in this sentence and basically walk through a predictive, uh, uh, predictive sequence. And then it's not spun. It's never existed before. You can put layers of plagiarism checkers, and it's not just replacement of synonyms when you're talking about generation. You can spin, right? You can do derivation or spinning of any text, but generation truly is predicting and building as you go. And it's it's not based on a trying to rewrite, but it is based on saying, based on me having analyzed this, I build a language model that can be general or very specific. And now I'm going to start to predictively build a sentence and then continue. And then you get into the other details that we'll probably talk about. So, yeah, yeah no, I don't know what, quite where this conversation is going to go. Maybe we won't talk about that. But right. the point is you're generating, right? For example, you generate a big chunk of, of, of content. You're mm-hmm. saying it's original, which is fine. I mean, plagiarism is I mean I think we forget Panda was all about plagiarism. It was all about saying mm-hmm. you don't steal other people's content. Right. Now we're in a situation where we're saying we're not stealing other people's content. We're just using machines to write it. Now a couple right. of questions come in there. The first one is: Do you just use the content as the machine throws it out? Absolutely not. If you do, you are completely insane. First of all, and if you care about that brand, if you care about that brand at all, I mean, would you use an outsourcer's writing without checking it? Like someone you just hired off of a a content pool? No. So why would you do it with this? And so, I mean, it it has to pass muster. It has to be, and and really where where we're seeing the, um, the winners separate themselves from the, you know, frankly, the, the the people focused on quantity, we'll call them that, right? Is that they're seeing this as a way to accelerate their um, their content workflows. So yeah. they're, they're already considering this for research, right? For natural language processing is an accelerator for research, for efficiencies on what you should create. So what do I need to create? How much content do I need to create? On what topics? What intents? You know, that's all stuff that we do with our other branches of technology. But with the writing, it's really about inspiration. So it's inspiration uh, that it fits a particular structure. It's inspiration that if you are a subject matter expert, you're then able to either look at it and go, okay, well, here's how I would make that better and quickly knock that piece out. Or you could even look at it and go, okay, I see what they were going for, but here's my take on it. And you can write that a lot quicker. It's a lot better than a blank slate. 
Um, and, right. and that's really the big difference. And it, it, it's your responsibility, by the way. You publish this text. It's your legal obligation to make sure that it passes muster and it isn't going to put you into a tough spot. Their language models can be biased. They can also be very wrong. Um, there is not yet a super strong fact checker on any of the active models. I'm building one and ours hopefully will be the best as is our language mm -hmm. model, by the way. We do not use GPT-3 um, or any open source. We built it all ourselves. Um, and we can also, which we can probably talk about a little, we can actually post tune um, models to be domain experts in particular topics, um, to be to write like you, so I can make it write like Jason if I want um, mm -hmm. over time, and and so we can do really really creative things that aren't general, um, and and that's where we want to make it so that it is truly your assistant, much sure. like the yeah, much like a thing. Yes. Oh no, come, come, sorry. I, I, I think the word assistant is probably the most important word you said in that entire yeah. lot, and I'm sorry to diminish everything else you said, but. It's an assistant, and that, that kind of the blank page is one of the biggest problems I think a lot of we human beings have, is you look at the blank page and you say, what am I going to write? Right. Then having anything on there, now I tell people a, a, a lot, the people I work with, I say, just, just create something, put it on the page, because it's much easier for me to criticize what you've done and improve on what you've done than it is for me to create the content in the first place. The hard part is what you're doing. Because once you've done that, I've got a basis on which to go, actually, that's rubbish. Here we go. And that's what you're saying is the AI-generated content is cre is filling up the blank sheet so I can then just say, that's rubbish, I can do better. Right. It's, it's the stages of that process. So it's to say, I am confident that I should cover this topic. I'm confident that I should approach this intent. And then our, you know, we build out outlines as well. So we will build out a content brief using the technology um, and that will start to inspire potential outlines. And then that next phase is that inspirational draft text. And so it's, it's just, what, where are you the most comfortable? Where, do the, where does it get you to the point where then you can use your brain and your knowledge to really start hustling, right? Because the, the, the thing that doesn't work, by the way, our humans' brains don't work with this. But if you give somebody a, a text, right, out of the blue and just throw it in front of them, you know what they do? They do what humans do. We judge. So you say good or bad, right? Yep. That's, that's not the point of all this. The point of all this is accelerating a workflow. And that's where the teams are separating themselves. The ones that they go, they go right to the end. It's like watching the last scene of a movie and they well, want to judge, judge the whole movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, I, I was actually thinking for me, it isn't good or bad. It's I read this and I can do better. And that's the springboard for me that makes me go, actually, I can do better. Off we go. And I, I think that's that, that's a really kind of good point. But then the next my next question is about style. I mean, I was listening to some uh, AI generated voices on YouTube videos and it feels OK. And I've done one with Descript. I, I actually I like Descript. Descript. I've got, yeah. And I actually did the, the voice thing where it can reproduce my voice, and I had fun with that for a while. Mm -hmm. But it remains flat. It remains, and, and this is the point. I actually tweeted about it. I watched four hours of AI-generated voice just to see how I felt at the end of it. 
And it's okay. You're reasonably comfortable listening to it. But by the end of it, I felt fairly depressed. It, it like, destroyed my soul somewhere along the way. <laughs> it's like watching a documentary and you know you really care about the topic and you're watching it and you're like, this guy's not really a good documentarian. But I have to watch it because I'm interested in the t- in the actual subject matter. And at the end, you're like, I, that could have been so much better if they had actually somebody that was pretty interesting and entertaining. That's my feeling. I, I have the same feeling when I listen to those currently. And, and also, it happens in generations when they don't have filter layers on them. Um, you can read them, and sometimes they, they give you a um, – if you're in that judgment mode, right? If you're the judge and the jury on the text at the end, you will feel – if you know it's generated or even if you don't, right? Uh, first of all, we do A-B tests on human written and uh, optimized drafts all the time. I, and we don't pass, we don't pass stuff until we have a high enough, um, high enough rate of acceptance where people can't guess which is and which isn't. We did this at Content Marketing World last year. We had people with tablets are like, read this, read this, which ones generate, which one isn't. And uh, we were really happy with those results. But the, the it is, it can, it can do two things. One, um, you can train and you can tune those models to have particular tones and voices. Um, but you you also, though, certain language models are better and worse at that. There are also some of them are repetitive. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't have what's called memory. So short term and long term memory. And so what that means is you can be reading and it certain models don't remember that what, what the first sentence was, right? We, that's why we want, we want models that have long-term memory so that on paragraph five, it still knows what happened in paragraph one. It's not gonna start repeating itself. And then you've got ones that degen and they just start writing garbage. It's like Jason, 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 Jason at the end. So it's all about, you know, just, you know, something when you read it, if someone's not in the, in the biz and they, they don't care about the fact that it was generated, right? If you get something and it's like, you know, garbage, you immediately get turned off. We're not yet mature enough to accept that gap in technology. Um, and that's where a big, big, big problem is, Jason, 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 exactly right. Yeah, I mean, if, if a machine threw that at me, I would just throw the machine in the dustbin, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't think that's, that's a realistic possibility today. But one thing that does strike me is style. Mm-hmm. And you, you're saying, you know, uh, AI generate content can look at my style of writing and potentially copy it. Yeah. Um, I'm terribly intrigued by that because my the, this is where I am an old fuddy-duddy is I'm saying I don't want that to be true because I want human soul to have something still to contribute. I think it does. Um, and I think that when I have, if I have the right attitude, I mean, it sounds so cheesy for me to say you have to have the right attitude to be successful, but you do. And I'll walk through like other maturity models for products that are similar. So the first time you ever had a spell checker, it offended you most likely. And you're like, this can't ever work. And then over time you were like, okay. And then now could you ever work without a spell checker? The first time you got a grammar checker, it was like, grammar checker, this can't possibly work. And then now it's just part of your life. Um, We had this experience with our content optimization platform where people were not okay with getting advice that was driven from expertise. So our technology does not copy competitors. It actually goes and researches a topic and gives you advice. If you were an expert on this topic, here's the things that you would include. 
At first, people thought it was just looking at. Sorry, I, I, I'd love to just cut, cut yeah, in there because sure. you said in, yeah. if you were an expert in this topic, mm -hmm. that is something that I find slightly concerning. If I were an expert, if I'm not an expert in the topic, what am I doing writing about it? What am I doing pretending to my audience that I am because I happen to have a machine? And yeah. that, that, that's, I think, slightly worrying is people will then say, well, I can be an expert in anything. Yes, and that's what my, my goal is so that you can know what it means to be an expert and then you are the creative. You're focusing on production value. You're checking your your you know what, checking your knowledge. You're making sure you're not just putting fluff in that stuff. And and what we've had in the past is technology that tells you how to copy. And then that's with spinners, and that's with you know term frequency analysis, right? Where you look at a page and say which words do they use the most? Well, you do that. That's not how it works. It doesn't allow you to differentiate. And so what we try to give people is how to differentiate. So the punchline of all this is we build those models. We build a beautiful content brief. You approve the model. You approve the brief. And you feed that into the machine. And that's how we generate. That's different than the way that other people generate. We can actually build validated models because we got all that data. So it's a, a higher likelihood not to completely offend you and want you to throw in the dustbin. And that's all we're looking for right now. I just, I want to make it so that it's at least going to feel like you had some control and it's not a magician's trick because so many of these models that are out there and the applications it, coming at it at the wrong angle, it, it feels like a magician's trick. You press a button and it starts writing. You're like good or bad. And trust me, I've seen it. I've been working on this for four years. That's how teams fail. They think it's sure. a magician's trick. So, yeah. so I mean, to, yeah. to, to, to bring the conversation more into that wider sphere, I mean, you've told us how wonderful your platform is and how you do it differently from everybody else, which is wonderful. But we're in a situation where not everybody's using your platform. They're using no. these, let's say, lesser platforms that you've just described. Right, exactly. And there are real dangers of people kind of Huge. coming in and saying, I'm going to use this AI to create this content. Now, if... If, if you've got this AI-generated content, I'm positioning myself an, as an expert in a particular topic. Do I not then run into a problem with expertise, authority, and trust, in Google's eyes at least, where I can potentially start trying to place myself as an expert in different topics, or I'm overstretching myself trying to say things that I don't actually understand? As a human being, you really have to rein that in. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. Um, and you... It, it should always be an extension of your content strategy um, on the site. So top, uh, so authoritativeness is calculated by Google at the topic site section level. Um, and it, so for Google, imagine that it's, you know, in, in, in computational complexity, it's a big OMN problem, right? Topic site section. So basically what does that mean? It says Jason's site is constructed of these chunks. Hmm. This chunk of it, is all about brand search, is all about words and concepts like entities and topics and relationships and, right? So if then Jason writes something about, this might be a terrible example, but I'm gonna just say, I'm looking around the room, looking at sheetrock. Okay, how does sheetrock, <laughs> how does sheetrock your uh, carriage house, right? It's not likely that you're gonna get that kind of, there's not natural connective tissue in what it already knows about you. So it's gonna be a stretch. You have to overwhelm the, the Google model with authority on a lot of things if you want 
the natural ability to then just rank for sheetrock. The same thing goes, who cares who generates the content, right? It, or how the content is created. Your strategy should still be to understand who you are today, make sure the mirror is clear, and to continue to blow out the content strategy that tells the world that you are the expert on the stuff you care about. But it, so like if you know that you need to, for example, just you need to cover, um, you know, the guide to um, slash M slashes in the Google Knowledge Graph API, right? Okay, that's so on the that is on the nose for something that you should have. Ooh, I could about. do that. I could do that. I definitely enjoy doing that. Right, but and so that's a, that's a. How would I use write. AI generated content to help me? How much information is out there? Where would I find the information? And how do I get it to write the article for me to then say this is absolute rubbish? I'm going to rewrite the whole thing. Exactly, that's what you're going for. So no, the the, <laughs> the ways that you go for it is basically what's that topic, right? So and then how much content would you need to cover? that topic comprehensively, right? What is the standard? How would you be differentiated? What are the concepts that would need to be included in that piece? What's some candidate structures or outlines for that? What are your internal links that you should have? What are your external links? That's your brief. And then you're like, okay, I got this brief. Now submit that into a language model and it's gonna give you candidates for filling that brief out effectively. Then you look at it and go, okay, well, Here's, you might have your scratch paper. Here's the stuff I know I want to cover. Okay, I like this. I don't like this. One of the huge, you know, one of the things that I like to do is we generate, when we're generating, we'll generate hundreds of these and try to evaluate them and pick our favorite to show people versus some of these are just showing raw gens, raw generations. And it's like the, the randomness in that is you may generate a bad one, you may generate a good one, you know, some, some yeah. Well, sorry, which brings me to other, another question, which is the randomness, right. which is, uh, I mean, I, people have told me, oh, it's really easy to write an article. You just speak into a, a, an audio machine or a camera, you do a transcript, and then you just correct it. And in fact, we speak in an incredibly random manner that makes sense when you're listening and watching somebody. But when you actually get it, I find it much more difficult correcting a transcript of myself than I do to actually write the content when I structure it in, a, in, a, in an intelligent manner before I even start writing. Is it not the same with AI-generated content? Totally. That is the, <laughs> no, no, that's the, that's the $64,000 workflow, right? That's what this well, race- Well, a million dollars, only $64,000. $64,000 workflow, right? Um, <laughs> is because I, you know, I'm old, so I'm making references to game shows you probably haven't seen. Oh, but um, you're so also American, <laughs> so I never saw that anyway. <laughs> there was a show called $64,000 Pyramid, and you basically, yeah, so I'm that sorry. was my, yeah. Um, and I think they probably made a million dollar pyramid at some point. I just didn't watch that one. I only watched it, the uh, right. USA Network, you know, the seven, to, seven yeah, to eleven definitely. when I was, you know, six years old. Um, but the 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 that's that's the race, and that's the race for everything for editors and for writers. It's to say some people can't adopt these workflows, and editing is a learned skill, and people diminish its value. Editing is super hard. Um, editing is really hard if you're not a an expert on the topic, um, and uh, people are very committed to standard operating procedures, um, and and they hate parts of them. So they hate writers for the most part. People who are subject matter experts or product experts hate keyword research. 
surprise, right? So when you take that away from them and they don't have to do it, they're happy. They're happier going into the draft. But yes, absolutely evaluating and improving and annotating a transcript is very difficult to do and turn into a beautiful prose. That's a skill as is taking a, um, as is taking a draft, as is working from a brief and working. And and so if you have, you've got to, with the, basically, if you've got to measure yourself very pragmatically, you've got to know, are you truly a, a, um, uh, I don't like rails on myself. And are you then comfortable with the outcomes? What we find with writers who are very confident, fast, and they have throughput that is acceptable by their authors, very few of them achieve the KPIs required for to be successful in their job. So you'll ask them, like, I just write, I write an article every two days, I get, you know, 20 articles a month out. Okay, well, how many of those are successful? And they're like 8%. Oh, crap. What's the true cost of content then? If it's 10%, which is the average efficiency rate, right? I write 10 articles to get one to work. My content actually costs 10x. Right, yeah. Multiple things occur to me there. Number number one, measure successful. One person reading it who then buys your product, that's successful. Twenty people reading it, but nobody cares about your product. Nobody ever comes near buying your product. Exactly Not right. successful from a <laughs> from a commercial point of view. In terms right. of feeding my ego, the twenty one is loads better than the one. Second point <laughs> is that you were talking about um, creating a flow, correcting the the style of the machine, mm-hmm. and then right. the other one is editing and cutting out all the fluff. And somebody mm-hmm. like Danny Goodwin, I mean, I, I mention him a lot because it's Search Engine Journal. I write these articles. I torture myself about them. And then he just comes in and chops all this stuff out. And you're going to actually – he has a great talent for making what I've written much clearer and simpler and straightforward. And yes. th- that editing job, I think, is vastly underrated. Um, Melissa Fash also did an amazing job She's at awesome. Samrush at the time. Mm-hmm. The, these people are totally underestimated, in my opinion. They become so the my you know my dream with using natural language processing and then generation for these workflows is so that subject matter experts and true editorial superstars and editing experts, people who care about storytelling and narratives, they become the true heroes. Where it doesn't matter, like right now. If you are a content strategist and you do the research and you know to cover, you know, uh, you know, garage repairs, we need to, you know, we need to have 180 articles and here's what they are. Here's the topics. Here's my briefs. And guess what? They just sit there and I can only want, I can only execute eight articles a month. And I'm, I'm basically sitting there like miserable. Right. But what if I can get all that work done at an exceptional rate? using some of these assistants and getting people who can write. All that matters is at the end of the day, I've got beautiful content that I'm proud of and the people become the superstars instead of in all the teams, all the teams, very, very few. If they would actually go, Oh yeah, I'm completely happy with the speed and efficiency of my writing team. Um, And that's the thing that needs to change. It's, they are always behind on their on their briefs. They're always behind on the publishing. They don't update enough content. 
Um, and it's because there, there are so many manual processes that they, they just believe that can't, can't be assisted. You know? Right, which brings us to the question of volume. I mean, you're right. saying we can make this phenomenal volume. We're just going to end up another panda world where there's too much content out there. Google's going to, from a Google perspective at least, it's going to create a whole new set of problems and Google's going to have to deal with it. And we're all, I mean, we're going down a path I see of this pure volume that's going to create problems. The other is um, Alexandra Chechova, I can't actually say her name properly, from... Um, uh, a digital Olympus, digital Olympus saying, yeah. let's spend 60% of our time promoting or 70% of our time promoting our content and 30 or 40% of our time writing it. Basically, this is just like mass production that we could never promote in any human reasonable manner. I've got I've to know that my content provides information gain to publish it. So I want to know that when someone, if someone has the intent for that I wrote for, they read it, they actually increased their knowledge and they touch are over. Thank touch you. Thank you. I was gonna, I was gonna say it. I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't interrupt the. Uh, and by the way, oh, no, no, Mel you can be really impolite to me and correct Melissa, me on my pronunciation of Melissa, Melissa and Danny. Fashion. By the way, are perfect callouts for all stars. Um, one of my favorite webinars I've ever done was like 2015 with Melissa, and it's hilarious. If you want to go back to look at one, it's with Eric Van Buskirk and Melissa uh, from. Uh, I think it was Authority Labs when they were doing Authority. That's how that's how back that was. That's a really funny one. I get super excited talking about topic modeling. This was wow. like before before it was a thing. Um, but uh, that's a fun one. Um, but yeah, the 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 those people are great callouts. But the um, yes, you, everything you said is right. We but it's not that it's coming. It's already here. <laughs> so. It's already I'm so naive. Here. How foolish of me. It's already It's here. already, no, but it's not even, it's, it's already here in the form of the teams who are really good at updating content are ruling the world right now. And I know that because I watch all of them or many of them are customers or, but the ones that really know how to update and expand surgically or connect content properly are the ones that are crushing the world. And the ones that can also create strategically are also starting dominance. The second piece of that is people have more money right now than they ever have liquid capital. So the acquisition of content sites is changing the world as you know it too. Businesses aren't buying domain names to then build sites anymore. They're buying other companies to then own entire web page, empire SERP pages. The, the change that Google is, has to make as a result of this is double flighted. The first flight is how do you police a SERP that truly has all the bases covered by one conglomerate? Hmm. All right. Not just the right real, every SERP, right? Every SERP result, every organic oh. SERP result. And they, by the way, they bought all the ads too on some of these, right? Mm. And so that's why you see that consolidation has to be managed. That's job one. Job two well, is- Well, sorry, jo job, well, job yeah. one. I mean, yeah. the knowledge graph and that understanding of entities with relationships would understand theoretically that entire makeup and would potentially, and this is a big potentially, give Google that opportunity to actually this is all owned by this spidery kind of conglomerate with all these relationships. And we can sort the wood from the chaff. So. I'm doing there it right now. There is a potential solution. I do it. I check it all the time to see if they're catching it. And they're not yet. 
And no, so no, what, I said potential. What are they going to do? But I would do? actually challenge you to tell me that your knowledge graph is better than theirs in the sense that you understand how it all, it's all built together. You're doing it on a small little chunk of the internet that you already understand with the relationships you already have in your database. Absolutely. They're trying to do it with the entire world. And I think a little bit of sympathy for Google there because it's a, it's a massive, massive, massive task that we can't even understand. Oh, and I'm talking about them. I'm, I'm not, I'm a, ours is topic specific ours yeah. is domain domain expert specific and it's we do it each one independently absolutely there yeah, is sorry, I, 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 I was actually just trying to make the point because i, I get the thing that, that a lot of people don't have the understanding of the the vast nature of google's task and it's quite easy to pick a spot and go there's a problem and it's, they have to it, solve it on, on a global scale Oh, you can sit there and be a critic of every yeah. SERP and every every domain, every <laughs> I can't, entity. I can't. Oh, yeah, right. But it, it it is you you watch it, and the reason why I say that is the when you mentioned that are we going to run into another panda? We already are. The right. bar the bar is lifting right now. We just saw it happen. Um, I've done an ex extensive analysis of the June and July tweaks, um, looking at hundreds of millions of domains in, in mass to see. It is absolutely the case where authoritativeness recalculations happen, right? Um, and a lot of the conclusions you're gonna see in these mass studies that are published, we don't publish most of ours, we do it for research, but is going to be that they can't put the finger on it. However, authoritativeness jump up and down is gonna then dictate uh, future performance all mass, so it's going to feel like your overall tweaks happen. But when you look at them page by page, it's not going to be uniform. But why? The change that they're making is intent is connected to these matters. So if you have outsized authority, you can typically rank with pages that maybe don't hit the intent right on the nose, right? So that intent mismatch. If your authority is going down, okay. um, you're going to start to not be able to rank for the things that are on off the note. They're not on the nose for intent. That's what we're seeing happen. So why do I tell that story? And by the way, that's what's happening right now. There's somebody's got to write. Maybe Danny will ask me to go write that one and call him up. Um, but uh, the um, what what that means is what you're saying is happening right now. The content that people are writing on mass that isn't achieving customers, users, readers intent has a lower chance of performing than it ever has. And that number will keep going down. And that, what does that mean? It means the bar for writing networks just went up and, and those writing networks are all sitting there scared and they're going to buy lots and lots of pairs of underwear because if they don't start writing better content quick, they're not going to exist in about a year or two years. Right. Okay. Wonderful. So, oh, that jolly good. Well, another question is originality. Mm -hmm. The idea of new thought. Mm -hmm. um, what What does this mean? I mean, if I if I yeah. got some AI generated content thrown at me on a topic I thought I knew incredibly well, would it inspire me, or would it yeah. simply make me lazy and say, "Right, there you go, chuck that out," because I already know all that stuff and it's really easy? Uh, is there a balance to be found there, or can I use it to inspire myself? I think that's the only real great use case for me. 
uh, you know, personally, I, I read and it's inspiring me to think of the narrative. I'm, a, I'm into storytelling, though, you know, like like Matthew Dick's storytelling. All of, that's my favorite. Uh, he's my favorite author on the topic. And, you know, I read it and it gives me the narrative or tweaks what I thought my narrative should be. Um, and it gives me that approach, the outline, makes sure I don't miss anything. So I'm in that negative space person where I can then be real fast. I'm also, though, I have a hard time writing. I have a better time speaking, as you all can probably tell. And I have, you know, team members who will take my, just like Danny does, take that and turn it into the, I'm like, here's the narrative. Here's my garbage talking. Right. And then it's like smush yeah. that together, turn it into something beautiful. Um, and so no matter where you are, I think that inspiration is always going to be better than replacement in non macro applications. So I'm, I put an if there, a disclaimer, because there are going to be use cases that people have been trying to use with NLG for a long time where this now spikes the the um, this technology as it improves, spikes the use case. Um, examples would be, uh, you know, go to the bottom of your favorite travel site and look at the bottom. When you're in Atlanta, you're 1.8 miles from the aquarium and you can go to a Hawks, you can go to a Hawks game and watch, uh, you know, you know, Al Harford slam basketballs and, you know, and, and, and go through it. And that is, that is like, content that right rides on the edge. Google's going to have to make a decision about data-driven stuff, financial data uh, that's done with NLG. And th those are all things that have use cases at macro levels, you know? Well, and outside of Google, actually, product information on product pages on e-commerce sites, if I can right. generate, if I've got 2,000 products and I don't have the time to write the content, but I can write content that's actually helpful to the user, doesn't need to be original, it needs to be factual and helpful, that's a reasonable use case, not aimed at Google in this case, but aimed at helping my user because otherwise I simply could not write those product descriptions. I love those. And that's the same use case I'm talking about, though. So I'll go I'll go three use cases back. Olympics coming up, right? Washington Post, um, I think it was two, six, 2016. Um, before that, they were able to post content about about 10% of the games. I think it was 18%, if I recall. Mm. Um, using their rule-based NLG platform called Heliograph with an F, um, they covered every game. So they can't spell, but they're still they, they can't spell. They covered everyone. <laughs> but the cool example, and this is what inspired Market Muse to really pursue this, is uh, Judo, if many people don't know, they give away two bronze medals. So yeah. if you generate with a standard rule set uh, the medal listings per event, because it's based on a tournament, two third places. Um, so if, if you do that, the um, then you would only have content saying there was one medal. You have to have rule sets, or the system needs to be a topic expert, right? Wow. I went and searched inside Market Muse for that, and it told me one of the distinguishing factors of judo was that it had two bronze medals, and I'm like, oh shit, I can do this, right? Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. And uh, and and so the um, the generation is it can now get into those things. So product is great, product types of pages, but then you think about the other use cases where, what if I, if I did my own stuff today, by the end of the year, that 24 page content cluster about Google Knowledge Graph API that Jason needs to write, 
you're only going to get four pages done. And I know it because I can look at your history and you're only going to end up writing four pages any way I can. If I can get 24 pages out the door, which I know I need to own this, shouldn't I do it? So, or, sh or should I not? That's no, the no, question. I, mean, I, I, That's I, mean, the I think, question, I think right? the point, and I think we can kind of wrap up with this, which is exactly mm -hmm. that, which is AI generated content does not in and of itself stand alone. That needs some kind of human guiding. It needs some human input. And we can use it to inspire and to push ourselves forwards and to generate more useful content. But as a replacement for human writers, it just isn't going to be uh, something where, 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 I mean, as a human being, I'm very glad that that isn't going to happen. But I would deeply love to give it a go to see if it will inspire me. Thank you very much, Jeff. That was awesome. I know you're trying to get another word in here. Is it a concluding word? It is a concluding word. I just think you hit, you hit it on the nose. If it's meant to inspire, it needs to go through a human brain today. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I'm just going to quickly announce next week, which is, uh, if I remember correctly, Barry Schwartz, who's going to be talking about the history of Google updates, big and small. Well, that's going to be really interesting because I started in the internet in 1998. So I've been through all of them, in fact, because Google was incorporated in 1998, three months before I launched my first website. And Barry is going to tell me step by step the entire process of the history of updates, big and small, a walk down memory lane with somebody, I don't think there's anybody who's, who's quite got a, such a grasp on everything that's happened over the last years. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Jeff. You get the outro song as well. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you, man.